Welcome to the ETC Coaches Corner, an inside look into the Midlands' best private training facility, where we'll be discussing all things from nutrition to training and, of course, everything in between. In today's episode, expect to learn all things supplements. You'll learn which supplements are best for your goals, which supplements probably don't work that well and are taking your money, why you should and shouldn't be taking supplements, and what kind of supplements we recommend for your goals. And maybe most importantly, what Jack's favorite snack is of all time. Today, I'm joined by resident all-round snack extraordinaire, Jack Collins. Good evening, Jack. Good evening, Tim, and good evening, listeners. Ooh. I'm going to start off with a real big question because I feel like it's too late. To, if I knew what, let's just go with it. What did you have for breakfast? So for my first breakfast, I had <laughs> a bagel thin with some almond butter. Bagel thin. I don't agree with yeah. this. I don't agree with bagel thins. A coffee. Yes. Aaron bought some bagel thins. Oh, I really like a bagel thin. And I was like, why are these bagels so thin? It depends. So depending on the time or rather the tart, the, what I'm aiming for with my diet will depend on whether I have a full bagel or a bagel thin because I generally eat too much. So by having a bagel thin instead of a bagel, I'm automatically chopping some calories out of my day that I normally don't need. Yeah, no, oh, I don't know. I, I wanted to get pedantic and ask you if you never know the difference between the caloric value of a bagel thin and a regular bagel. It's about 60%, I would say. Yeah, but then you've got to think they're about 70% less fun. So you've got like a mismatched 10% of 60% less calories, 70% less tasty and fun. But I'm less fat, so... <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but what is your favourite snack of all time? Oh my god, what a question. Tell you what, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to that. That come. could be an entire podcast on its own, but I'm broadly going to have a stab at the dark at it, and I'm going to say cookies. Okay, cookies. Slash biscuits. Biscuits in general. Yeah, we'll go with biscuits. Biscuits in general. So you need, we'll try and get something more specific. You know, we could do a podcast just on your favourite snack. It'll just be you thinking. Just, just, just silence. Yeah, it's <laughs> salivating. <laughs> so we're going to talk about supplements today, and like, it's supplements is such a massive topic. So we're really only going to stick to kind of the big, the big ones, the ones that we most frequently talk about, most frequently recommend. We're not going to talk about you know like having folic acid during pregnancy or anything like that. We're going to be looking at specific goals. And what supplements we would recommend in t- and also give you guys a bit of information about what that supplement is, the validity of that supplement, and also we'll probably throw in some supplements that are just a crock of utter rubbish. So we're going to talk with about probably our, you know, our most common circumstance, and that's people who are trying to lose fat. And you know, we were having a conversation with a member yesterday about fat loss supplements, and it was a interesting conversation because there's just so much around the topic that is just complete and utter rubbish so when it comes to the best supplements for fat loss jack what would you say those supplements are so 
as you kind of alluded to there, like when we talk about the best supplements for fat loss, there are so many supplements out there that claim to have these monumental effects on how much fat you lose. I think it all just kind of comes back back to like, what are the ones that we know actually do something and you're actually getting a tangible benefit for the money that you're spending versus, you know, the ones that might have an effect, but we aren't really that sure how big of an impact they have versus what they perhaps claim to have, which can often be very different. Like some supplements claim that you're going to lose 30 pounds of fat in 30 days. And it's like, well, actually, that's probably not true because what actually happened in the research that they, or the small amount of research that they did on that study doesn't necessarily correlate with the outcomes that actually they got in real life. So I think when we really boil it down to what we know works, I think for me, it's the the three that we would generally suggest is caffeine, creatine, and then protein. Now we might say that protein isn't necessarily a supplement, I mean, it technically is when we define what a supplement is, but in terms of what supplements normally look like, protein doesn't necessarily align with that. So caffeine, creatine, and protein, whether that's a whey protein, dairy-based, or a more vegan-based or vegetarian-based protein powder. I think it's interesting that you talked about, you know, supplements that claim to have fat loss. But if you look at the small print, It'll be like, lose 30 pounds using our supplement in 30 days. P.S. Also have a healthy, varied diet and exercise. And then it's like, okay, so I had a healthy diet and exercise. Uh, I was eating celery, sand and lettuce for 30 days. And, and most importantly, I was taking this magical supplement and I've lost weight. It's the supplement, isn't it mint? And it's like, wrong. No, it's not. It's the guidance that you've been taking to help you lose the fat because of the principle of, of, of calories to help you lose lose weight. And I feel like a lot of supplements, they, they, they claim these benefits, but when you actually put it to research, and you, you spoke about like research, and what we mean by that is like, how can we measure that it works? So it's like, I'll give you this supplement, and then I'll give you this supplement, and when I give you one, You'll do. You'll act in one way, and I give you another one. You'll act in, in another way. Or what I did for like my research, I did some a while ago. We had like a, a double blind crossover. So it was like I give you a supplement, and the other person has a supplement, and we don't know which one is the active ingredient. And then it's like then we measure both people when they don't know what the difference is between the two, and neither did I. And then we can go, oh, there's actually an impact over large numbers. Therefore, the supplement must be making a difference. It's like. You can give somebody paracetamol and it's like, you will feel better now because this paracetamol, it works. Now, of course, there is like the placebo effect. You can give people, what's that? What's What's that medicine? You give people like sugar tablets and like they they, they claim all these crazy things and they do actually work, but they don't actually work because it's all in your mind. What's it called? My mum used to be really into it. Not well expensive. And they're like, this basic sugar tablets. Oh, someone's, someone's giving this and they're screaming out. Oh, it's so annoying. Basically, the sugar tablets, and they'll be like really weird names. 
Nelson's is the the company that does them, and there's basically nothing. Anyway, yeah. So there's definitely some area of like placebo, but what we're talking about is can this actually measurably work? Now you spoke about caffeine. We all know what caffeine is. Caffeine's absolutely fantastic. Why would you say that caffeine is a good supplement or can help promote or help with fat loss? So when I was making notes for this podcast, I Jack always makes notes. I never make any notes. I just kind of wing it. Uh, It really kind of occurred to me that caffeine has probably the most benefit across different goals as any supplement out there. It's like the list of benefits for caffeine is actually crazy. When considering it's like what you get from coffee is actually quite amazing. So when we're talking about caffeine for fat loss specifically, it can help to increase fat oxidation when you are in a deficit, you're in a calorie deficit, it's going to help you essentially use more fat that you have stored. But it's also important that we are actually in a calorie deficit because it doesn't matter how much fat you burn, it matters how much fat you lose, which we need a calorie deficit for. It can help by reducing appetite. So if you are striving to achieve a calorie deficit, if you're striving to lose fat, then by being less hungry, reducing your appetite, it's going to mean that you eat less calories on average or you are less inclined to eat when you are striving to not eat. And then it can also have a small increase in metabolism because it is a thermogenic. It basically makes, or sorry, it's a stimulant. It makes you, makes your heart rate increase. It makes you essentially just move more and burn more calories throughout the day, um, which can help with creating a calorie deficit. It can also help with increasing or rather maintaining your effort during exercise. Because if you're in a period of a calorie deficit where you're not having enough energy coming in through food, it's going to allow you to put more effort into your training and basically give you false energy, which is going to help with burning more calories during your training sessions, but it's also going to help with maintaining muscle mass because if you're able to lift heavier weights in your training sessions, that's going to help with maintaining muscle as you lose weight, which is going to help with keeping your metabolism higher, which is going to help with creating your calorie deficit. Love that. I love how you kind of went into details of like, it's the the symptoms and the implications of having caffeine then also have this domino effect of then thus potentially burning more energy, only slight though, and making you feel better when you're hungry, which will then improve your ability to work out. And if you're working out better, you're going to burn more calories and get a better adaptation and all these different things. What I like that you you mentioned about fat oxidation. Now, fat oxidation, so you, your body utilizes different energy substrates, like you might utilize fat and carbohydrates, and very irregularly you'll use protein. It'll break down proteins to create carbohydrates by gluconeogenesis if you're you know if you're starving but predominantly it's, it's carbohydrates and, and fat that you utilize and you i think the term is being metabolically flexible so you so you want to be your, your body wants to use both both energy substrates uh you a, a substrate utilization in the best possible way to perform the best by performance i mean you know running and exercising and all these different things so when you oxidize fat it fat is a dense energy source because it's you know it's, it's in the body it's fat but 
increased fat oxidation does not mean you're losing more body fat. And you mentioned that, but I think it's a really important point to kind of just explore a little bit. Because people go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going keto, I'm going keto, or I'm, I'm fasting because it helps me burn more fat. It's like, yeah, it, it does help you burn more fat. It helps you oxidize more fat. But that does not mean that you're actually using more subcutaneous or visceral fat as part of your body. You're just burning more fat. And as soon as you then eat anything ever, your body will just has this homeostatic response where it'll just replenish whatever fat stores that it had originally utilized if you are not in a calorie deficit. So if you're in a calorie deficit, you're essentially only getting like, I don't know, it's an arbitrary number, like up to 80% full and not maximizing it to 100% and then constantly being, constantly walking around in a non-full state and there is an, an energy restriction and therefore there is not a, not sufficient energy which is why you feel tired, which is why caffeine is important. That makes sense. Cool. What else have we got for fat? As we talked about, uh, you mentioned protein, uh, creatine. Creatine, I think, you know, the most well-researched supplement in the world. So talk to us a little bit about creatine. What, what, does, what does creatine do? And why can it be beneficial for, for fat loss? So yeah, so like, as you said, like creatine is the most researched supplement. So it's one of the very few supplements that we could say actually works like it's it's almost at the point where if you were you know like a researcher and you wanted to do a study on creatine and you were like i want to see if creatine helps with building muscle and i want funding for this study they would just laugh at you and be like no because we know it works and it's kind of like would have probably the only supplement that has that kind of validity there are some that are very strong but that's kind of it sits above and beyond anything else really at the moment so in terms of helping with fat loss it's not going to necessarily directly help with losing fat in the way that caffeine does and other things might but what it does is it helps with muscle maintenance and muscle or even muscle growth because it essentially helps you lift more weight for more reps over time in a very simplified way, which allows you to potentially build more muscle. Or in the context of a calorie deficit, where you're perhaps not in the best place for building more muscle, it can help you retain the muscle that you already have. And if you're able to retain more muscle as you lose weight, as you lose fat, then your metabolism is going to stay higher because muscle is what we would call metabolically active tissue. It requires energy just to sustain itself. So the more muscle you have, the higher your metabolism is going to be. Therefore, the more calories you can eat and maintain your weight, or you can diet and strive to lose fat on higher calories. So yeah, it doesn't necessarily help you lose fat directly but it can help you with achieving a calorie deficit or being able to essentially eat more and still lose fat love that so when you have like obviously fat mass as as me father said you can't contract fat man <laughs> so like metabolically active tissue yeah, muscle it, when you are contracting that muscle that has an energy requirement but you feel like I'm trying to squeeze me fat, me fat abs. 
uh, that you can't contract it. It's just it's just mass. So walking around on a daily basis, of course, you're carrying more mass, which is going to be harder, but it's non-contractile. So the, what you're saying is the more muscle that you can have, the more energy that you will just require on a daily basis, which means you need more energy to walk around and do things, which means whilst creating a calorie deficit, you can still eat more calories. So we, we use Kyle as a we use Kyle as an example for practically anything because <laughs> he's like 90 kilos and 89 kilos of lean mass. Kyle has more lean body mass than I have mass. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I'm in a deficit. I can only have three and a half thousand calories. Everyone's like, shut up, Kyle. <laughs> like, because he's got so much lean mass, so much tissue. Like, he's always going to be able to stay lean because. He's able to eat a good amount of calories because he has so much muscle. Now, he, you know, in the most respectful and polite way, is a, is a bit of a freak in terms of <laughs> in terms of how much muscle that he has. Yeah, me, that's never going to happen. And don't don't think for one second that you're going to take creatine and, and look like Kyle. I wish it was true. And even if I took, like, all the steroids and took, like, <laughs> Tred and Anavar and Dynabol, I still wouldn't look like Kyle, unfortunately. But creatine's such a good supplement, man. Like it's it's like it's a no brainer. It's like it's cheap. It helps you build muscle. And building muscle is really, 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 really hard. And it just gives you a little bit extra to help you look better, feel better. And especially, you know, this is again we could talk about this for, for another hour if we wanted to. Like older women, everyone, but especially older women, it's like, cool, we really want to be getting you to keep as much muscle as possible. So when you're in a calorie deficit or when you're older, like building muscle is is almost impossible. It almost doesn't work. So we want to go, well, how can we retain as much as possible so we can maintain being a healthy, active, mobile person to help? So keep as much muscle, uh, as much metabolically active tissue as possible. And creatine is one of the best things that you can do. Now, last kind of supplement uh, you mentioned that for fat loss, you, you spoke about protein. I think proteins, you know, again, something that we can explore for absolutely ages. But just let's just talk a little bit about kind of protein and, you know, give people, the members, like some, like how much protein should should, should people have? So when, when it comes to protein, like it, it really does exist on a bit of a spectrum. So you've got how much do we need for like on the low end for general health supporting muscle maintenance muscle growth in normal people if you like and when i say normal people i mean that people that aren't looking to really push the boundaries and push the limits of how much muscle they can physically build so it, there is a bit of a spectrum there so when it talk when we're talking about how much protein you need on a kind of daily basis we're talking at the low end 1.2 grams per kilo of body weight so for a 75 kilo individual, we'd be looking for about 90 grams a day. And that's kind of like the low end. And that is going to be enough to support health. Anything more than that isn't necessarily going to have a kind of positive correlation with health. Um, and then anything really up to 2.7 grams per kilo of body weight, which is the kind of upper end of that maximal muscle building range so we'd probably say there's kind of two ranges really you've got 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilo per day and then you've got 
1.8 to 2.7 grams per kilo. So if you are someone who really kind of values their training, they want to kind of push themselves, build more muscle, get stronger, perform better in the gym, somewhere in that 1.8 to 2.7 grams. If you're someone who just wants to be healthy, maybe still wants to build a bit more muscle, uh, lose a bit of fat, whatever it might be, that 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilo per day is where we would generally suggest people strive for. I think it's, you know, we all, people talk about high protein diets and this is looking now, uh, like the, the Brit, British Nutrition Foundation of like what they believe people should have as protein. It's like 56 grams a day if you're a man and 45 grams of protein a day for a woman, which, I mean, there's just so much to depict there because I know people, I know women who have more muscle than I do and I know it vice versa. So putting a blanket statement on that is just absolutely ridiculous. But also, that's like having enough protein so you don't have sarcopenia and damage your bones and have really poor kind of muscle function. Like, ultimately, that recommendation is there to, like, go have this and you won't be a vegetable. <laughs> but really, like, we want to be having more to optimize building muscle. And, you know, we talk, we talk about building muscle a lot. But what's really important just to reiterate again, like building, if you want to build lean muscle, right, you've got to be training consistent. So in, in like a year's training for somebody, let's say for someone like me who's been training uh, for a very long period of time, if I want to put on like a kilo of lean muscle, that's going to take me like six years. It's like, oh, huh? really? It's like, yeah, really. Like you aren't just going to get absolutely jacked straight away. It's It's just incredibly rare. So... We're talking about building muscle, but please don't think that it means, ah, oh, I don't want to have too much protein because it, I'm going to build all this muscle. Although, I have worked with quite a few people who are from like Afro-Caribbean descent who genetically have this incredible predisposition of building, building muscle, right? Which is why, you know, most Afro-Caribbean descent individuals who become sprinters are very, very fast and they have huge amounts of muscle mass. So what we would do in that, in that situation, because, you know, we predominantly promote high-protein diets, especially for fat loss, because, you know, we haven't actually talked about, you know, protein being high in uh, satiety, so making you feel fuller for longer, and the fuller that you can be whilst you're dieting, the more likely to adherent you will be to have that diet, to have the calories that you need. And we would basically do the opposite. So we give them a low-protein diet to stop their body or prevent their body in the best way possible to not build muscle, which is kind of crazy because everyone wants to build muscle. But yes, yeah, so some people have genetic predispositions to building more muscle, way more muscle than what I could, what I could build as a 35-year-old white English person. Or Kyle, for example, who just thinks about going to the gym and puts on 10 kilos of lean mass. But yeah, cool. So that's what we talked about for fat loss, protein, caffeine, and creatine. Now, there's loads of other supplements that we can kind of talk about in terms of for, for health. Let's talk about the best kind of supplements for health. I think you've got three on your list. Let's talk about what they are and explain why we recommend them potentially and what they are good for. Over to you, Jack. Yeah, so when I was kind of thinking about the different supplements that A, we suggest and personally take, but then thinking about breaking them down into these different categories because that's a lot of the time what people want to know 
they don't necessarily think about what supplements do I need to take generally. It's like, well, what supplements are going to help me achieve X goal? Whether that's building muscle, losing fat, being healthy, performing, whatever it might be. But there's going to be a lot of crossover between these different categories. Um, but for the purposes of this, talking about like the best supplements for health, I think for these ones, they are more closely aligned with health rather than any kind of performance benefits as such. So they will tie into performance, but it's not like, for example, if I tell you to take loads of vitamin D, it's not going to have a very specific correlation with your sprinting performance, but being deficient in vitamin D would. So it's not like you need to take loads of it to improve your performance, but if you don't have it, it could have a negative impact. But in the context of health, the first or rather the three supplements that I would typically suggest for kind of having good health correlations would be vitamin D, uh, omega-3s and a multivitamin or in the context of someone who is perhaps having a more restricted diet such as veganism or vegetarian even then uh, specific vitamins might be suggested but they are typically going to be included within a multivitamin. We're not going to talk about all those, you know, vitamin B12 and all those, all these potential dietary specific vitamins. But talk to me about vitamin D. You know, we always bang on about vitamin D. It's just, for us, it's like a no-brainer. Again, it's a creatine. It's like, it's cheap. It can really help you feel better. And why wouldn't you take it when you live in, if you live in England, not in New Zealand, where we're the <laughs> 111th top rated health and fitness podcast. We're definitely breaking into the top 100 after that. Yeah, maybe. We need to get, we need to find one other person in New, in New Zealand who listens to it. And then we'll have two people, which means we'll be in the top 50. Uh, yeah, so you live in England, right? It's miserable six months of the year. Six months of the year, it's pure dark. You don't even see the light and it's cloudy. So it's like, wow, would you not take vitamin D? But Jack, talk to us a little bit about like, vitamin d how much we should take and what are the benefits from a health perspective but you know as you alluded to health and performance kind of well they're essential you can't perform without health but why what what what's good about taking vitamin d so for vitamin d as you said it's probably our most recommended supplement specifically because a we live in the uk and as you said we don't have the best weather and probably from October to April, you're not getting a tremendous amount of sunlight, especially when you take into account most people work indoors, people work long hours, and then they might go to the gym or they might go somewhere else. And we're always indoors. So even if the sun is out during that time, we're probably not exposing ourselves to it that much. And a very, very, very high percentage of the population is vitamin D deficient. So during the summer months, you might not need to supplement with vitamin D so long as you are getting a decent amount of sun exposure on a decent amount of your body without wearing too much sun cream, of course. But during the winter months, typically we suggest anything from 1,000 to 4,000 IUs per day. The Vitamin D product that we personally take and stock at ETC is the Pure I1, which has two and a half thousand RUs per tablet. So it sits kind of comfortably within that 
1,000 to 2,000 to 4,000 range that we would suggest. During the winter, I personally take the awesome defense, which is a multivitamin that has 2,500 IUs in it. But then I will also double up and I will take a single capsule of the pure I want. So most days of the week during winter months, I'm having 5,000 IUs a day. And then during the summer months, I'll probably still take the awesome defense, but then I'll just get that extra bit from the sun because there really isn't any concern with over overdosing. Overdosing sounds a bit extreme for vitamin D. Going to overdose on some D. Having uh, You can't really have too much vitamin D so long as you're not taking stupid amounts and you're getting the majority of it from the sun. So you can't get too much vitamin D from the sun. You can supplement too much, but the amount of which it would take is really high. Like you can go to the doctor if you're deficient and they might give you 300,000 IUs in a single dose, depending on the context. But like if you can go to the doctor and they can give you anywhere from 50 to 300,000 IUs, taking 5,000 IUs for a couple of months, you're probably going to be okay. We had a member, didn't we, who um, was feeling really low in energy, feeling like really crappy. And they went to the doctors who were vitamin D deficient. They had no vitamin D availability in their body. And they gave her, I think, 50,000 UIs every day for two weeks. Yeah. It's a lot. Because you, you can take a bolus dose and your body just goes, ah, oh, thank goodness, I needed that. But I, I'm the same as you. But I actually take more than you. I take 7,500 a day in the winter. Ooh. Yeah. It's just, I just think, why not? And I've, I don't know, maybe, again, maybe it's placebo, but I really feel like it makes it me feel better. Well, makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> but just, it's, and it's just so cheap, man. Like one tablet, like two tablets, you get like, I don't know, a billion in a packet. It's like 20 <laughs> quid. It's like, like three pence a day. Why not? It's a no-brainer. Take vitamin D, ladies and gents, and get out in the sun. And I think a, a really important thing to note about vitamin D, and this is something that a lot of people will take note of especially in conversations that I've had with with people is that the the NRV the national reference value for vitamin D is 400 IUs a day so we're potentially recommending 10 times that amount the 400 IUs is there to prevent deficiency but not to support optim not to support or promote optimal health and it kind of, it comes back to the same thing about the protein, like the NRV or rather the RNI for protein is 0.75 grams per kilo per day. Whereas we're recommending almost double that. And what we would say is actually the low end is 1.2 grams per kilo. So what we would probably say is the low end for vitamin D should actually probably be a thousand. That's going to be enough to get people into the, what we would say is like the healthy range the range that is going to support optimal health in the context of an active lifestyle. Yeah, love that. And we, we've also got like you know, omega-3s. What, what, what's good about omega-3s? Why are they good for health? I mean, me personally, like I, I don't eat any fish. Omega-3s are a no-brainer for me. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about omega-3s, why they're useful, why would you potentially take them, and what are the, the, the benefits of, of taking them? So omega-3s are fatty acids, and they are typically found in 
oily fish, salmon. Um, what are other oily fish? Oily fish, salmon, sardines, sardines, kippers, things that kippers, fish that typically have a higher fat content, like white white fish has a relatively lower fat content, which is why people like it for a fat loss diet because it has a low protein or has a low fat content and a high protein content which means the calorie balance is going to be quite good for the context of a fat loss diet whereas something like salmon whilst it is it's got a lot of omega-3s and it's got a lot of health promoting properties it's going to be quite high in fat which means it's going to be higher in calories compared to the white fish which means it's going to be potentially less of a common choice for a fat loss diet so Omega-3 is typically found in there, but also found in different vegetables, also found in sea vegetables, things like that. Um, and sea vegetables. Sea vegetables. Like an, like an algae. I've never heard someone call it a sea vegetable. Sea vegetable, isn't it? It's, it's like a, like a, what, what, a sea lion's a, a sea dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of sea dogs. <laughs> they do sound like dogs as well. But with the uh, the benefits of omega threes are there are quite a lot, but the main kind of benefits are they are anti-inflammatory properties, anti-hypertensive, and they can help with reducing anabolic resistance in elderly people, which is actually probably one of the more notable benefits in that as people get older, they become more resistant to things that stimulate muscle growth and muscle maintenance such as training training has less of an effect eating protein has less of an effect so if you're in this place where you aren't able to as easily maintain the muscle you have and we know how important that is as we get older this could potentially be something that helps with or rather helps you with maintaining that muscle as you get older which can help with reducing injury risk from falls and age-related sarcopenia. So fish oils are basically dead important, right? And again, it's a, it's a no-brainer. We haven't even spoken about how well-researched fish oils are in terms of cognitive function and, and memory and eyesight and all these other things. But I think anabolic resistance is one that no one really talks about very often. And for example, like if, if you have 100 grams of protein, if you're somebody who's more anabolic resistant, uh, which happens as you age, especially in females, then that 100 grams of protein that you've consumed, only like 20 grams of that might actually have any kind of use. So we want to improve that as much as possible because we've spoken about the benefits of protein. Now, with fish oils, you see like in cheap fish oils, they'll say something like, oh, 1,000 milligrams of fish oils, 1,000 milligrams of omega-3. And you, as a, as a silly human, like we all are, you go, oh, man, that sounds great. But the key thing to look at when it comes to fish oils is the EPA and DHA ratios, which is the EO, I can't even say it. E, EO, <laughs> when I was looking at this, I was like, it's really hard to say. I'm going to ask Tim if he can actually. I say can't. It. I've got. I definitely can't. I've got a disabled mouth, so I'm like it's. E, I don't know. Dead smart. It's a long word, but basically, you don't need to know what a long word. You just need to know EPA and DHA, and it's the ratio and the level of those, which is the active ingredient of what the omega. It's the balance of omega-3 and omega-6 ratio, which is actually what creates the ergogenic effect, ergogenic being beneficial, the beneficial effects of the supplement. So don't just go, oh, omega-3, it's 1,000 milligrams. Look at the back of the packet. 
Look at the EPA and DHA, and if you can pronounce it, then you get 10 points, because we can't, because we're stupid. <laughs> right, we're going to have to almost wrap up. So we talked about, you know, health supplements, fat loss supplements. Um, there's, and they, there is a little bit of an, of an overlap. But we'll really quickly kind of finish on, on muscle gain. So in, on the list of muscle gain, you know, we talked about caffeine, uh, overlap with fat loss, creatine, and protein. Now, why are they good for fat loss and also good for muscle gain? Now, it's because, in fact, you know what? You can answer it, Jan. Yeah, so <laughs> there is, as you can see, like a lot of crossover between the supplements that are beneficial for fat loss and the supplements that are beneficial for muscle gain. Because largely, what we are striving for in both of those contexts is actually quite similar. We're looking to either build or maintain the muscle that we have, which is going to come from consuming protein and also training. So caffeine is going to help support training. Yes, it is going to have those benefits of, you know, increasing fat oxidation, suppressing appetite, small increases in metabolism. But what it's also then going to have is it's going to have those positive benefits on the training. So it's going to improve your muscular endurance. It's going to improve your ability to produce force. Thus, it's going to help you lift heavier weights for more reps over time, which is what is going to contribute to maintaining muscle in a fat loss context but it's going to then support building muscle in a period of well-fedness e.g you're at maintenance calories or you're in a calorie surplus i think it's important that you you mention that because yes they, they were talking about supplements but we know that if we want to put our body in the position to grow metabolically active tissue brackets muscle then there has to be sufficient energy availability you have to have the same, the adequate, an adequate level, if not more, energy availability so your body can prioritize the development of muscle tissue. Because if you're in an energy deficit and you're looking at reducing your fat, it's almost impossible to build muscle because you aren't giving yourself enough energy by its very definition, which is why your body fat will reduce. And if your body is in a position of reduced energy, it is not going to prioritize the building and the development of new muscle tissue. So although they are the same supplements, how much you're eating will then dictate the outcome using the exact same supplements. And then when we look at the other supplements, muscle gain, creatine, again, for the same reasons that we outlined for fat loss, it's going to help you lift more weight for more reps over time. Thus, it's going to help you with building muscle because that is the training is going to be the largest stimulus for muscle gain alongside protein intake but largely training is going to be the thing that is dictating your muscle growth over time so anything that is going to help support your training and help you improve your performance in the gym is going to help you with building muscle and then the last one as we said for muscle gain protein muscle is protein like muscle tissue is protein so Without protein, there can't be any muscle. So making sure that you're getting sufficient protein at, at least the minimum end when we talked about the range of protein for building muscle. 1.2 grams per kilo is going to be that very, very low end. But realistically, if we're wanting to put ourselves in the best possible position for building muscle, we want to be making sure we're getting maybe 1.8 grams per kilo of body weight to one to 2.7. Now, 
Does everyone need 2.7? No, definitely not. Realistically, you could probably say 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight is going to be more than enough for almost everyone to maximize their muscle building potential. Now, if we were being really kind of specific, we want to be breaking that daily intake down into servings. And we want to be striving for 0.3 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilo of body weight per serving. For the 0.3 grams, we want to be looking at things like whey protein, like a whey protein powder, a concentrated protein source, also could even be from dairy. And then as we move further away from that and we get into more of a mixed meal, so our protein is coming from different sources. It could be in a mixed meal, it could be rice and chickpeas and some meat and some vegetables. And the protein is coming from different things. In that scenario, we want to be probably striving for 0.4 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilo of body weight in that meal to make sure we're getting enough protein and also amino acids to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Boom. Right, we're going to leave it there. We've talked about performance, performance. Oh, no, we haven't talked about performance. That's one thing we've not talked about. We have a list of performance-based supplements. So then we're going to do another day. It won't take very long. They'll see some similar themes. But we've spoken about best supplements for health. We've talked about vitamin D, omega-3s, uh, and a kind of a, a general general kind of vitamin. We've talked about the best su- supplements for fat loss, caffeine, creatine, protein, and the best supplements for muscle gain, which are the same. Hopefully you've taken some, some good information from this during this open discussion. We, w- we will return almost definitely with another supplement based episodes and um, we personally recommend awesome supplements we also use puri and um, we use icon protein none of which sponsor us or give us any money to say that but they are legitimately probably some of the best we found on the market so please go and check out them or if you want come into etc because we sell them as well uh-huh. not biased because we actually used to sell them we used to direct people to buy them even before we had etc even before it was even a thing so uh, that's hashtag integrity right there. But anyway, hope you guys have an amazing uh, weekend. Hopefully you've taken some good information from this. If you have, please share it. Say something nice. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, just whatever. Yeah, get when all we want all of our members and and beyond listening to this to help improve the education and the knowledge of the people that we that we work with. So thanks for listening. It's a little bit of a longer one, but it was with Jack, who's got eighteen pages of notes. Have a lush day and uh, yeah, see you. See you next week. See you next week. See you next Tuesday. I'm Joe. I'm actually going to be on Sunday. Bam, bada, bam, bam. <laughs>